Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, April 29th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Well, the the good news here is that the camellias are blooming, which is very late for them. And it is also the anniversary of Mama Gina's passing. And she she's my mother-in-law and she passed a year ago today. And we are remembering her in all that we do today. And she was a huge fan of the podcast. If you can believe it, we taught her how to listen to it. Was she Um, really? I didn't know uh that. That's awesome. Boy, she loved to listen to us and then tell me where, like if I said something in the podcast, like I'm looking for a recipe about beans. And then the next, as soon as she had heard it, I would get a call like, you should go to xyz and fine beans and she was the best ambassador for san francisco because she knew she grew up here of course and she knew every secret spot and she knew all the best food and she just was so proud of this city so we're celebrating her today oh that's excellent yeah i know you guys really miss her but that's sounds like you have some good good memories yeah excellent and camellia season is always really, really nice. We used to have a camellia tree, but didn't make it in our garden remodel, which is a bummer. Well, I thought they are supposed to bloom in March. and this, I think February, but yeah, this is a little late. This is late, and I'm not sure why, but I'm excited. I'll take it. Well, on with the beautiful podcast. We will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And uh, yeah, so on the needles, beautiful knitting. I have continued to work on my golden poppy cardigan. Speaking of flowers, did not quite finish it before round three of Sock Madness. So this is an open front cardigan by Noriko Ho. Two colors. Both yarns are from Black Squirrel in Berkeley in their Wesley Merino sock. And the main color is a white slightly off-white with blue specks in called June Gloom. And then the contrast color is a bright blue with green specks called Sea Forager. And I did make it all the way through the colorwork portion, which is the poppy pattern kind of along the waistline. And then I had a little bit, you do a little bit more of the plain color and then a hem. Uh, and I think I still have like two more rows on the hem and I just could not make it happen. And then I still have the sleeves. So and the button band without the buttons. So there is a little bit little bit more to do, but nothing terribly complicated. So hopefully my goal for that was to be done by Mother's Day um, so that I could wear it, have something new since my parents and my sister and her husband and my husband will all be fully vaccinated. Boy, one and I will be at 92%. And then the little kids, I mean, boy two and my nephews won't be, but their kids. So we're hoping to have a nice family gathering in person. Ah, That's really exciting. Getting back to, to how things should be. So yeah, so I wanted to have something new to wear. And I think I will be able to do that. I will not be done by the end of April, which my April stash numbers are going to be pretty sketchy. I had a couple of yarn purchases that I had made a few months ago. They were pre-orders. So you tell the dyer you want them and then they 
dye them all, you know, they have the orders are open for a certain amount of time and then they dye them up and send them out. So you usually don't get them until a month or two later. So I had some, some really cool <laughs> yarn sets come in, but definitely skewed my numbers. And I just haven't, I've been working on things, but I haven't finished as much as I have in past months. But it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint kind of thing. So I think I will still be ahead for the whole year. In other sock news, I decided to try nine inch cirques for my socks. Do you what does know? That, what does I was going to ask if you know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> so for the non-knitters, there are a couple of methods for knitting socks. And the, the way I started, the way I learned was using double pointed needles. So you think about your regular knitting needles, there's kind of a point at one end and then there's a tab at, at the other end. So your yarn doesn't fall off. Double pointed needles are pointed at both ends. So you can just flip your needles around and go and basically go in a circle. So you usually have three or four needles on your sock and you're knitting and you have an extra needle that you're knitting your stitches onto and you keep going around. So it's, it's good, it's pretty quick and you keep going in a circle, it's pretty small, but you can drop your needle and then you have to search for this like five inch long, you know, two millimeter around. It's like a toothpick. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bigger than a toothpick. I was gonna say a toothpick, it's a little bigger than a toothpick, but basically you're searching for a toothpick depending on where you drop it. Yeah. It's smaller than a chopstick, so. For sure smaller They're than tiny. a chopstick. Yeah. yeah. So trying to find them is a little tricky. And then you spend a lot of time finagling like okay so you knit maybe a quarter of the sock and then you have to move it around and then you need another quarter of your stitches and then you have to move it around again so it's a good method and it works but there is a lot of finagling so then the way I normally knit my socks is on uh, is magic loop which is on like a 36 inch circular needle so it has the two pointy needles and they are connected by a really long 36 inch uh, flexible cord. And so this makes things, so A, you're not gonna drop your needle because it's attached to this cord, so you won't lose it. You're knitting half the sock at a time. Um, and then you flip it around and knit the other half, just the way you set up the stitches. And you can do other things, like you can just work on the heel stitches, lots of things you can do. So that's good. But again, you are having to finagle the stitches. You knit half the stitches and you got to pull the loop and pull the other loop and make sure you don't pull the wrong loop and pull the needle out and lose all your stitches. So that is also tricky. So what I am now trying and what some people really like and other people don't, so we will see how this goes, is a nine inch circ. So like the longer circ, two pointy ends, but a short flexible cord, only nine inches, which is about the circumference of a sock. So theoretically, you should be able to just keep knitting, 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 knitting in a circle without any of this needle finagling and moving things around. You'll have maybe stitch markers so that you know where the beginning of the sock is or the side, you know, all that things. But, but that's pretty easy to deal with. The problem is it's a really, nine inches is a pretty small circumference. So your hands are, you've got kind of like chicken claw hands while you're working on this, which is not the most comfortable position for hands to be in. So some people just can't do it. And some people find that after a while they get used to it, they can make it work, they can find a comfortable position for their hands and it goes lightning fast because again, no finagling. So I was ordering something else, oh, also from Black Squirrel, this really cute project bag. It's like this canvas tote and 
they found an artist who does block prints of San Francisco landmarks. So you get like nine different landmarks that she does in different colors. So cute. That's really fun. It was awesome. They might still have pre-orders open. I forget how long they were going to be open for. I got mine really fast. Anyway, so as long as I was ordering, I was like, oh, I'll <laughs> I'll try out some some new needles and see how this works. So I ordered those and they came. And I'm using them on my kind of emergency sock. That's, you know, my backup Zoom knitting stuck in the car waiting for a child to finish soccer practice knitting where it's just plain sock round and around. The pattern I'm using is the OMG pattern from Megan Williams. And it's a sock for Simon. It's mustache, perfect sock, self-striping, entangled lights, which is technically a Christmas colorway, but it's not so Christmassy that you would look at it in like the summer and think, why are you wearing a Christmas sock? It's kind of a, a light olive green, big stripe. And then in between, it's a multicolored, like the lights stripe. And I think there's red and yellow stripes also. Anyway, so I'm working on that and it's a a plain vanilla sock. So I thought, well, then I could, I could practice with the nine inch circs, see what I think. It won't work for all socks. I don't think, I think something super patterned, it, there wouldn't be really any advantage, but for a plain sock, it could be good. We'll see. I haven't practiced enough to get really used to it because then the sock madness hit and I had to, (laughs) so I have not been working on my plain sock. Holding the needles is a little tricky. We'll have to see if I can figure out a good position for my hands. The needles are really short because it's only, you only have nine inches. Whereas when you've got a 36 inch cord or whatever it is, you can have the needles be a little longer. There's a little more room to hold them. So you are really kind of all scrunched up in your hands, which is not ideal. So we will see that's still work in progress, but it's, it's fun to try a new system and, and see how it works. I will report back when I have a little more data, but sock madness round three, we are deep in it. Oh, I tell you what, it is not used to be this hard. Round three would be sort really? of. Yeah, no, 100%. I feel like they in the earlier rounds, they would be more pattern socks. So not necessarily hard to do, just slightly tedious. This These one, seem incredibly detailed from oh what I'm seeing. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. It's, and it's, it is really fun to learn new techniques. It's also a bit of a mind bender. This is around we're going from 40 people on a team to 30 people. So I feel pretty good about it. We had, we had like eight people who, when they saw it and started trying to do it, put in the group chat, uh, no, never mind. This is just ridiculous. I can't do this. And a lot of them actually came back, tried again. They're back in the race, which is what you want. I mean, you, you can't go into this competition and think it's going to be easy. Well, <laughs> you used to be able to think that. That is not the case anymore. But the point of it is to learn new things, try new, try new things, get new skills, and just kind of compete against yourself. So this sock is called Belief in Yourself by Annette Schleicher. Two colors. The back of the sock, let me back up, start off by knitting a leaf, leafy pattern that becomes the cuff. And after you knit that and sew it together, you pick up stitches and start knitting the sock down. Back of the sock is kind of a checkerboard pattern that's surrounding a a leaf design. And down at the heel, it splits into like three or four leaves. So that part's gorgeous. That is pretty standard stranded color work. Not too big of a deal. I can handle that. It is a little tedious, but not too bad because you're just knitting. There's no purling. There's no yarn overs. It's just keeping track of your pattern. 
The front of the sock is two-color brioche in a leaf pattern. So there's increases and decreases. I have done two-color brioche before. I've not done these increases and decreases. <sighs> yeah. And she has she teaches you a new way of doing a single pass brioche. So brioche, you have your stitch in your whatever color, your main or your contrasting color. And then each stitch has a yarn over, like an extra strand of yarn in the opposite color that you then have to make sure you catch when you're knitting that stitch. You do your knit, so there's a yarn over. It makes a really beautiful pattern, but it's a lot to keep track of. And if you screw up, it's not pretty. So basically in English, we've reached the madness part of sock madness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, you know, if you knew how to do brioche and you'd already done these stitches and a lot of other knitters have, I'm sure it'd be no problem. I have not done brioche enough. I've done it enough that it sort of, that it made sense to me. I knew what was supposed to be happening, but it did not look like it was happening until I got to the end of the first repeat where you de where you have five stitches and you make them into one stitch, which is crazy. It pulls the whole pattern together and really makes it look like a leaf. Before that, it just looked like a giant mess and I couldn't even tell if I was doing it right. Do you practice these stitches in any way or are you just diving in and doing it? I'm like just diving in. Okay. I mean, you could, I guess, but there's not really time. Okay. I mean, if it was really, truly a disaster, then you just rip it out and try it again. That is the beauty of the yarn. Brioche is cool because it makes your main color pop and you end up with these, with a, like the background of the contrasting color. But it's much more popped out than say, like if you were just doing regular cables in one color yarn, it's also super squishy. So I finished the first sock. And then this morning I started the second one. I've not gotten very far on the second one. I feel pretty good. The foot went really fast on the first one after it got through kind of the learning process and the heel turn, which I had to, so <laughs> I discovered, A, I can't really knit too seriously before coffee or after a glass of wine while watching TV. Because <laughs> so I was doing that for the heel turn and I thought I had it and I got to the end of it and my colors were off and I could not figure out what had happened. So I was like, ugh, I'm just ripping it all out. It's like world-class knitting. You know, mm -hmm. you have to just be on your game. Yeah. There's no messing around with caffeine hands or Yeah, no, relaxed. there's barely even, I mean, I the end of it, like for the foot and the toe, once I've kind of got every, when, now that I have sort of gotten into rhythm, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm able to at least listen to podcasts or books on tape. It's not been a book on tape. I'm so old. <laughs> do you still say that? Right. I mean, I totally do. I totally. Yeah. And my kids look at me like, what are you? <laughs> yeah. I said the other day, like, okay, I'll see you on the flip side. And they were uh, like, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? But it's not, I mean, we used to go to the library when they were little. So it's not, like books on tape are outside of their life experience. They have experienced books on tape. I still own a vehicle with a tape deck. Oh yeah. I don't... No, actually we do still have one too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the so... only tape deck in our whole world. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, so I was able to listen to an audiobook for the foot. 
of this sock. So I've, now that I've kind of got it and I, you know, so I feel accomplished and it's, it's a really beautiful sock. I'm super excited. So my two colors, cause you need two colors. That was also stressful figuring out the two colors. So my first one is from Tannis Fiber Arts. It's her purple label cashmere sock. So it's a merino cashmere nylon blend. It's so lovely. And it's in the julep colorway, which is a mint green, very, very pale. And it's from 2013, it's been in my stash. So moving that one along. And then my other color, my other yarn is from Lisa Souza Dye Works in her Hard Twist Petite in the Electra colorway, which is, I'm gonna call it indigo because it's it's mostly purpley, but there's definitely a lot of blue in it. Uh, it's not, I, I wouldn't look at it. Well, in some lights it looks, it also looks blue, but really dark and deep. So it's a really good contrast. A lot of times I pick colors and I feel like there's not enough contrast and you really can't tell this one I'm super happy with. So I'm pleased with that. So for the first sock, purple was my main color and the, the green was my contrast. And I think, I think, I know I am switching them for the other sock because it's kind of fun to see how the pattern looks a little different in the different colors. And that's totally allowed. So feeling pretty good. We have... Three people on my team have already finished, but I feel like a lot of us are right there, like working on our second sock. Some of the people are, you know, they've got four-year-old children that they're trying to, to manage and jobs. And so I feel like I should be able to <laughs> at least get beyond this round. I don't know how much farther I'm going to get because the top two finishers, I think they finished, they both finished yesterday. So they're like 50% faster than I am, right? Or hundred percent. I don't know. Math. Anyway, I had finished one sock and I had finished two already. So that would, yeah, I can't, even if I had done nothing but knit, I don't think I would be finished with both socks that quickly, but that's fine. I, I'm making progress and Good. having fun. Yeah. Good. That is what is on the needles. What is on the easel? The easel is uh, divided between gouache work and oil work. And my big project this week was to narrow down the oil palette. And this is going to be, this is going to sound a little bit technical, but some people like that. So oil paint dries way slower than gouache. Gouache, I, I can paint a painting or a sketch and it will be dry generally within 20 minutes. And that's on a foggy day. The oil paints take about three or four days to dry here in my studio, which I'm not adding anything to speed up the drying. You can add mediums to, to help with that, but they, they have chemicals in them. So because I'm trying to be a solvent free studio, I am letting things dry at their natural, actual pace. And I'm not doing anything to augment that. So the work on paper dries a little bit faster, but surprisingly, not that much. The paper, I think, because the paper is thicker, it's I'm using like um, a mixed media paper that can handle the oil paint. And I really love it. I love painting on paper and I like painting on the wooden panels, although that feels like so much more of a commitment. So I have been painting animals, I guess, just different animals in my sketchbook in gouache and then turning around. I have a gouache desk and easel and then, then a, behind me an oil desk and easel. And I, I did that because 
I have habits with the gouache, you know, of rinsing the brush out in water. And I was afraid that if I either I change the whole setup, but then I'm going to put brushes in water that shouldn't be because the oil, that's not how you clean an oil brush. You need a salt or um, a different kind of cleaner. So I've just been doing these two different stations, if you will. It was going really, really well, except that I had way too many tubes of oil paint around and I wanted to simplify my color palette so that I was really just learning how the different paints mix together and blend together. It's not even the colors are, if, if I take like a scarlet red and a permanent yellow and gouache and mix them and then take those same two colors and mix them in oil, I'm getting such different results. So I feel like I need to really learn the oil materials. And so my process right now is to limit the materials in a way that I can build in new color awareness and mixing as I go along. I have so many pieces in progress and not a lot of anything completed except these animals like a donkey and a platypus and a fox. And <laughs> it's just fun, but um, it's just definitely- And they're adorable. Thank you. It's definitely a slower- process working with the oils. I'm also working on finishing up the April gouache grid, which is the project in gouache that I'm doing with Daria, who is a uh, Hey Hooray design. And she and I bought the paper pads from A Case for Making, which is a local San Francisco paint making or water. They make watercolor paints and beautiful studio materials. And they have these grid pads that are five by five tiny grids. And the, the, the grid is like an embossed, a clear embossed grid that makes one and three quarter inch squares. And every month we paint something different in the squares. Last month was chairs, right? And then this month it, we're doing our native plants. And so Daria is in the Pacific Northwest. And so she's doing, hers are like lots of berries. And from what I've seen in her little sketches, California has a riot of wildflowers and native, especially native ones. And initially when I started this, it was just a total hot mess. And I have this cool, this cool laminated field guide because I'm a total nerd a modern field guide that groups them by color. And there, California has a lot of like blue, purplish flowers. We have tons of orange and reds. And anyway, when I started painting this, it was kind of like a riot of color, which I thought was gonna be fun and wild, but it was a little too fun and too wild for me. So I had to tame it down a little bit and I curbed some of the bluer, ones and warmed them up a little bit or just cut them and did a, like a warmer tone so that the whole thing feels more unified. It's still super colorful and it will, it'll be, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be in my feed, but it's been really fun doing all of the California natives. We have an abundance. <laughs> we really, 
it's an embarrassment of riches, basically. And I did pull out one of my old treasure field guides. This is a vintage one that I have from my collect my field guide collection. Oh, super, super old. It's this is from the Pacific States. It has it's mostly black and white, which is painful. It's from the year of my birth. I won't tell you how old that is, but it's so old. it's not that old. Yeah, but look at it. It looks old, right? It's got a ruler on it. It has a ruler on the back cover. And I think That's that so that cool. is just so great, yes. right? It's 100% I mean, great. It's 100% great. So it's like a little, it's like seven and a half inches. And then the inside covers have the important things to know, like the shapes of leaves and leaf arrangements on a stem if they alternate or if they're opposite leaves and I like this just as a quick reference for for painting and drawing so it's it's just this gorgeous little book but like I said it's mostly in black and white it too sorts the flowers by color um so at least I can refer to okay which ones are orange (laughs) so I'm having a lot of fun with that and I think that's, that's about it in the studio. No big project coming up. I'm just trying to build up work for open studio in the fall. Um, And if you want to hear more about that, you can go to CourtneySpillane.com and sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, we'll get there. So on the table. So I was thinking of something, well, something that we've been doing, are we? (laughs) I've been doing and my family has been along for the ride because they eat dinner in the house. Generally, when I serve food, I plate it all in the kitchen and then put the plates on the table. And if you want extras, seconds, you can go in the kitchen, get your own darn food. So what I started doing, mostly on Sundays, maybe on a Saturday, putting the food on serving dishes and bringing it to the table and letting people serve themselves, which is more what I would do if we were having guests over, a big family dinner, that kind of thing. So it makes it feel a little bit special, which I think we still kind of need specialness. Sometimes if I'm feeling really fancy, I'll pull out the fancy crystal glasses to drink from. You know, I don't, I don't wanna to make too much extra work for myself. And I have thought, do I really wanna pull out these extra plates to have to wash? But I have decided, yes, it is kind of fun. Because I have, you know, lots of nice platters and they just haven't been getting as much juice. So I've been enjoying doing that. It's really fun. Yeah, it's not terribly complicated. I'm not making fancier food. It's just making it look nicer instead of all, you know, on the plate and just getting it. So that was my little, I guess it's an on the fly kind of thing. You can call it that. I haven't done fancy grains, but I have made both amaranth and phonio. Uh, the amaranth people liked, and I, I just did it plain. It was kind of polenta style, so it had some Parmesan cheese in there. They all liked it, and they thought it tasted like breakfast, which is generally, I think, how it is served. So trying to make it more savory is a little tricky. We will have to work on that or just have it for breakfast, which is totally fine. And it definitely has that nuttiness and the kind of porridge flavor, a little bit sweeter than like polenta, even though I didn't add anything to it. I mean. Parmesan and salt. So you would have thought it would be more savory, but but no. And then the phonio, which is a West African grain. I had bought packets of it. So they were f- flavored packets. So I 
haven't tried the the plain grain by itself. So this one was a tomato and bell pepper flavored one. And again, people liked it. It's really, really tiny grain. So the texture is a little strange and unusual. Does it compare to couscous? Like tiny even, couscous? Yeah, even smaller though. So it almost feels a little gritty. It doesn't take long to cook, like couscous. You kind of bring it to a boil and then let it sit. So I think it was cooked. I don't think that was, wasn't like I had undercooked it and it was too crunchy. It just is a really fine texture. So that was a little, took a little getting used to. But I am interested to try the other flavors, maybe get some plain version and see how that uh, works as a base for, I don't know, some sort of saucy, sauced up business, maybe like green, braised greens or something. So we are continuing on with the grain experiment. And then I finally got to make the Spring Palau from East by Mira Soda. Thank you. Uh, which I was very excited about. She has a Palau for each season. So I kind of want to try them all, although I think the winter one involves beets and nobody in my house will eat beets except me. So we're not sure if that'll happen. But this one involved asparagus and fennel and peas. Should I use frozen peas? Because I still haven't found fresh ones. I usually get them in my produce box at some point and they just haven't showed up yet. And I just wanted to make it because I had the fennel and the asparagus uh, and it was pretty delicious. So it's, it's a rice dish and you cook all the vegetables and the rice. And I think there was turmeric involved and the fennel. I'm still constantly amazed by how mellow fennel becomes when you cook it. So it was really good and it made a ton. So it was definitely enough just as an entree, a one, one pot thing for all four of us, which that is, is always exciting. a winner. Yeah. In my book. Yeah. Cause sometimes, I mean, you never know. I'm still figuring out um, from that book how big things are and, and which ones are really one pot meals and which are more part of a, should be part of a spread kind of thing. And then, and uh, by the time this comes out, you should have seen a photo on Instagram. If I remember to post it is the battle of the bunny chow. So have you heard of bunny chow or, Oh, well you have the book. So you, you have both of the books. Yes. You seen and, and I, it sounds, it's such a great fun name. I haven't made it yet though. So are you making different bunny chows? I may, I have, I have made both bunny chows. So there is one in vegetable kingdom by Bryant Terry. Yeah. And the other one is in East and they had both caught my eye and I never really got around to it. The one in vegetable kingdom, he calls for Royal Corona beans, which are these really big white beans. And he said, you can use cannellini or any other white bean, but I really wanted to use these and you get them from Rancho Gordo and they've been out of stock since whenever we got that book. So a year, it's been a while. They finally came back in stock. So I was able to order them <laughs> and make this dish. And as I was reading it, I realized because he has a big description. He said it's based on bunny chow. So bunny chow is from South Africa, but I think it is from the Indian community there. So it's a, they took a big yep. bread roll. Mm -hmm. Right. Because of the curry, right? Yeah. And scoop it out and serve a curry in there. And he says it's mostly, be, it's originally was vegetarian. They've mostly become meat curries now, but so he's did a vegan cookbook. So he made a vegan version. He also has a recipe for making your own bread. That clearly wasn't going to happen, but the rest of it was fine. So the Royal Corona beans, these big white beans, diced potatoes are in there as well. Ginger, 
tomato paste, pureed canned tomatoes. He has you make a spice blend, a Berber spice blend, which I cannot at all remember what's in there right now, but it was really flavorful and deep and with the tomatoes and the spices and very umami. The beans were super cool. They were huge. Um, and then you serve it with broccoli rabe as well. So you saute that off and put it in there as well. I did not read the part where he suggested eating it with a knife and fork, although we did serve it that way because it's very goopy and doesn't really stay in the bread. That one was delicious. And then the other one is from East and she actually calls her but hers bunny chow because it is an Indian based dish. I don't know if it's any more authentic. It's just a different version. Yeah. Um, so this one was the with black garbanzo beans. So I had to get more of those, which is very exciting. And they pretty much taste just like regular garbanzo beans, I would say. But it's kind of, it's still kind of fun. They're a little bit more dense. I think they're a little smaller. They don't cook up as big. And this also had cabbage in it, cumin, turmeric, garam masala, and snow peas, and some chilies. So this one was a little spicier, spicier, not super spicy, and not as umami-ish, I would think, because it doesn't have the tomatoes. I think I liked the Vegetable Kingdom one better, but just because I like that tomato umami thing. Um, but this was equally delicious. My family was pretty happy. It's a, it's kind of a wonky thing to like see beans in a sandwich, but it was fun. Well, the East one is more like a sandwich and the Vegetable Kingdom one is more like a bread bowl, right? Yeah, uh, I can't but I think, remember his photo. Yeah, they're both bread bowls. Oh, I thought hers was more sandwichy. I can't remember the photo I think, now. I think hers in the photo, she's got three of them. So it looks smaller and not like a giant bread bowl. Yeah. But you still, you're digging, you dig the bread out of the roll or whatever you use. So I had gluten free rolls and then I had ciabatta ones. And then I have something else that I got for. The glutinous people and you toast them up and yeah i mean a bread bowl is always delicious doesn't really matter what you put in there that is true um but it was there's super fun to have these two recipes that yeah that's so based on the same of, thing yeah. yeah it's really creative i did i was looking through east last night for a little inspiration and the bunny chow caught my eye and i had researched what exactly is bunny chow because i don't eat rabbit <laughs> I think it has nothing to do with rabbit. It doesn't, but I needed to make sure. Yeah. Um, even though I knew her cookbook was vegetarian, I wasn't sure if it was like originally based on something. Anyway, there's a website that I like to use. It's called africanbites.com. And I, I have linked other recipes from there to our show notes, but she has a bunny chow that it sounds like a cross between the two that you've made and hers looks more like a bread bowl. She's a little bit more omnivore leaning. She says you can put chicken breast into it or ground lamb or because like you were Bunny. saying, most of them, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> most of them do have a little bit of animal protein in, in South Africa, at least that are nowadays or what have you. I don't really know a lot about this, but I just thought it was it's funny that we were both looking at the same recipe recently and well, and the, the vegetable kingdom one I, has been on my list since we first got that book, even though I didn't realize it was kind of the same base. So I thought that was, there's definitely something about curry in a bowl in a bread bowl. Yeah. That's that, excellent. That hits something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's about it for me. How about you? 
minimal stuff because I'm trying to give the Simply Julia lots of attention, but I also cooked a lot of things that have been in my repertoire. We, we did our first round of vaccine and I didn't feel that great after the first one. I mean, not bad, but not much like eating or cooking, frankly, but I made, I made some new cookies for the boys and they are like a lemon pout cookie. I have, we got tons of lemons from our across the street neighbor. It was like the end of the, of her Meyer lemons. And she was just like, please take 400 of them. So what I like about this lemon pout recipe or lemon sugar cookie is that with the lemon zest, before you do any of your mixing of ingredients, you take, you zest the whole lemon or two, and then you kind of massage it into the sugar. And the sugar takes on this really pale yellow color and it breaks down the zest so that it's, it's well uh, distributed. And then, and then you make the cookies as usual. And even though I add a little bit of, of lemon extract, they were wonderfully lemony, not artificial at all, but that zest really carries through and they were totally devoured. So that was, that was because um, the boys learned that they weren't going to have a wrestling season on account of COVID, even though many other sports are a go ahead. Wrestling is not uh, wrestling's a little bit close contact, if you will. Yeah. And, and they inside. have and inside and they've decided to err on the side of caution mm. since most of the kids are not fully vaccinated yet. Oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they were consolation cookies <laughs> anyway. And then I was ta- last time I was talking about how we're trying to add beans to our repertoire. Yes. And I'm pretty guilty of just buying canned beans. I'm not making a pot of beans stovetop. But like my office is in the kitchen, so it's easy enough for me to babysit it a little. Whereas you're upstairs. Yeah. I, if I was upstairs, I would totally forget about it. Yeah, I'm kind of nervous about that. However, I took the, I got a copy of the Rancho Gordo bean, heirloom bean, like Bible, whatever, cookbook extraordinaire. And I have some dried beans and now I just need to commit I mostly have, I have chickpeas, so maybe I'm going to make some bunny chow. <laughs> yeah. You but, could also put the beans on the stove while you're making something else and save them for the next night. So kind of pick them up and start again. Yeah. Because okay. the beans you can make whenever, because I also have books where they're like, make a pot of beans at the beginning of the week, and then you kind of pull them out over the next few days. So that, that's absolutely something you okay. can do. Stephanie, one of our listeners sent me a bunch of good resources too about this. How long do they, if you make a pot of fresh beans, how long do they last in the fridge? Like four days or so? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We usually use them up before then. So I'm not entirely sure how far you could push it, but I feel like there was a Twitter exchange recently about with the Rancho Gordo guy, Steve, Mm. and someone else asking about it. And I think that was about how long. Okay. Well, I need to make that happen. And so that's on my agenda. And then I am going to put a teaser out that I've chosen a new country for Lemon Latitude. Oh. 
and I'm not sharing which oh. live, but I'm going to show you the cookbook I ordered. Oh, okay. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. It's not the most culinary location or in my perception. I mean, but it's got I, some interesting dishes. It's got some interesting dishes. I'm not in it for the food necessarily, but I'm really excited about a couple of the desserts Reasonable. for this for this household. And I think people should keep an eye on the both the Instagrams and I will share there when my books start coming in. And then you can, although I just posted a Chinese cookbook the other night and we went through it and there were only like three recipes that the kids mm-hmm. wanted. So spoiler, it's not China. Yeah, <laughs> I will do China at some point, but uh, China is to a, see what your, your reading books are too. Yes. Well, I have thoughts about that, but we have to talk about it at the end when no one is listening. Okay. Keep an eye on the Instagrams, both the podcast craft cook, read, repeat and Courtney SF. And I will unveil that soon. I, I feel like I don't want to make any promises since I totally failed my hundred day project. But I'm also feeling failure is in some ways growth. So the great thing, if I can just remind people, the great thing about my Lemon Latitude project is that it's a project that gives a little bit of structure to a lot of my interests. It helps me build a reading list. It helps me get excited to make food in my kitchen. And it it definitely informs my art and the things that I, that I want to be painting. So yeah, that's, that's Lemon Latitude and it plays into all of these things so nicely. Very exciting. Okay. So on the nightstand, oh yes, books, books are so great. So much fun. I've been reading the library. Oh, so beautiful. And it's opening again for actual people. When I picked up I've picked up two amazing stacks of books recently. And when the librarian handed them to me, she said, you have really beautiful books. And it was like (laughs) the best compliment that anyone has given me in a year. It was just like, thank you. You know, I didn't write these books. I have nothing to do with their publication whatsoever. But, you know, I curated that stack and then... Yeah. And I don't think I had heard of any of them. I mean, maybe one, but they were mostly very unfamiliar books. So I'm looking forward to hearing about them whenever we hear about them. Yeah. That'll be exciting. And I, yeah, I've actually been reading some book books I had to get through three of them, which is very <gasps> exciting as well. Oh my gosh. I know. Well, t- tell us, Old what school. are you reading? All right. So the first two that I read were not my most favorite. So I'll keep those kind of short, but they, they did have they're good points. Um, the first one was Love Proof by Madeline Henry. I really like the plot premise on this. It just didn't work out for me. So Sophie is a genius, math genius, physics genius. She is starting at college and she meets Jake. And it's just this immediate connection. They feel like they've always known each other. So they're having this great relationship. She is going to change the world with her, her theories about time. And something happens to change their lives. And it goes on from there. So I thought this sounded really fascinating. I wasn't super impressed with what actually happened. It just, I don't know, the whole thing was less interesting than I thought it would be. But there was a lot of interesting thoughts about time and love and, you know, how the universe works. 
and their relationship was pretty interesting. And so I'm not totally against it, but it was not my favorite. And that's Love Proof by Madeline Henry. And then A Romance to Have and to Hoax by Martha Waters. It's a Regency, so early 1800s in England. Violent and James get married very quickly. It's a love match. Then they have a big argument about a year in and don't speak to each other for four years. And that is where we pick up the story. Uh, James has just had a writing accident and his friend writes to Violet to say, hey, he's unconscious, you might want to come. So she dashes off to see him. He's already awake and is kind of annoyed because his friend has told his wife that he was injured. And she's like, that's ridiculous. I'm your wife. I should know these things. They go back to fighting. She decides she's going to pretend to be dying of consumption (laughs) to get him to feel the same pain. And then they will start talking again. So shenanigans abound. It was pretty cute. It was interesting. It was from a different view, different kind of twist because they were already married. They already had a relationship. They had to rebuild their relationship. So lots of good things about communication and listening to your partner and all those good things. It felt a little bit too modern at at times. Obviously, if you're going to have a couple communicating that well, it's probably is a more modern take, but I don't know. Again, not my favorite. I think it was, it was a little less light than some of them. I like that kind of spark and lightness and humor there there felt like a little bit not enough of that but pretty good there's a new one coming out soon and i'll probably check it out and then when i did really like julia quinn bridgerton's number seven there's only one more i'm almost done it's in his kiss it focuses on the youngest child hyacinth who is a quirky character and not finding a husband but she's okay with that uh but then she meets Gareth, who is kind of an outcast second son. His older brother has died, so now he is the heir. And he inherits his grandmother's journal, which is in Italian, and Hyacinth reads Italian. And so she ends up offering to translate it. There's some missing jewels, secrets, family secrets, all sorts of shenanigans that the two of them get into and have a delightful relationship. So that was very cute. It's in his kiss, Julia Quinn, Bridgerton number seven. And then for audiobooks, first one was Strike Me Down by Mindy Meha. She is a mystery writer, and she's also an accountant as her day job. And she was on What Should I Read Next as a, did you hear that one? I did listen to that one. Yeah. So I checked out her book and it was on audio and it sounded pretty interesting. So the, the main character in this, the detective is Nora, and she's a forensic accountant. You might think that's kind of boring, <laughs> but... Apparently follow the money. Yeah. yeah. And what's the other the one? The, um, the John Krasinski, uh, Jack Ryan. He's an accountant too, I think. It's always yeah. about the money. So it was good. Bring um, on the super nerds. <laughs> yep. So she is called in by a fitness empire owner because they're having a big contest and the $20 million in prize money has disappeared. And he suspects his wife, who is kind of the face of Strike their company. So she has been called in to with her her company to investigate and figure out where the money went. Lots of shenanigans. Uh, it was a pretty good audio book. They they did a good job. The the guy reading Greg Abbott is a reader that I've or narrator that I've heard before, and I really like his interpretations. You get the the different uh, the two different characters. You get both Nora and Greg. But I thought she did a good job of keeping it kind of the pace going and the mystery going and and I don't think it's a series 
So I, I, I don't know why I find that so interesting because so many books do seem to be series. So it's kind of nice to have a one-off. But yeah, it was it was fun. What should I read next? She recommended it on her summer reads last year. So it was definitely, it's a good, easy listen or an easy read. And my other audiobook was To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. That's a favorite. It's so good. And I had read it in college and remembered liking it. And then uh, my parents group at my kid's high school was doing a class. I think they do this once a year. They have one of the teachers teach a class for the parents. And so this year it was an English teacher and he did To the Lighthouse. And so I was like, oh, I totally want to read that again. So it was really interesting to read it as an adult. I think there's a lot of things that you wouldn't get as a college student, especially about Mrs. Ramsey's view of being a parent and that whole relationship was still really beautiful. And it was interesting in the class as he picked out different sections to focus on. So you didn't actually have to have read the book to attend. So he made it like he would read a passage and then we'd talk about it. So it was just interesting, like he would pick things out and you would see connections between those two passages. I don't know if you were supposed to, but I did. So then it made it interesting when I was listening to the rest of it. Yeah, I really like Virginia Woolf. Just such beautiful writing. And and there's a scene where the where Mrs. Ramsey is knitting. So I really like that as well. Oh, I love Virginia Woolf. I took a whole Virginia yep. Woolf class in grad school. And it was, I have an entire shelf downstairs. That's all. I think I own every single one of, Wow. I own a paperback of every Virginia Woolf. Yeah, I have to the lighthouse. I still have it from college. So that was interesting also to go through and see my notes and stuff. Um, yeah. But then as he was doing his introduction, he kind of went through whatever, however, eight books that she wrote. And I think I had read all of them except for one. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm doing pretty, pretty good. I guess I do like her. I mean, I thought I did, but I yeah. don't like. There's a lot of good stuff there Yeah, to be had. It was, yeah, it was just such beautiful writing. And so that was, that was nice. And it, and it was good because it just flows. So it was good for knitting as well. <laughs> and then two books, ooh, actual book books. So science fiction one. Oh, they're both kind of science fiction-y. Desolation Called Peace by Martine Arcady. And this is a sequel to An Empire Called Memory that I read last year that won the Hugo Award for something. So this one is a sequel. You could probably read it on its own because it's a kind of totally different location. Takes place in space. She did a really good job of world building. So it focuses on Mahit, who was... Uh, is from a small planet that is just outside the empire and she is the ambassador to the empire. So in the first book, the uh, action all takes place in the big city, the empire's capital. Uh, This one, she has returned home to recover from the events of the first book and finds herself in political hot water at home. Her friend from the capital city has finagled her way into being an envoy to the war zone to help with uh, first contact with some aliens that are attacking the empire. Her friend Three Seagrass stops off to pick up Mahit and take her to the war zone because she is, quote, an alien. So you get a little bit of colonizer mentality here. It's a very interesting theme that she's got going. And so they go off to, to meet the aliens. This one felt a little bit more scattered, especially in the beginning, because the in the first book, the action is all mostly taking place in the city. So even though you would get different character viewpoints, they were all at least in the same location, more or less. This one, you've got people in the capital, you've got people on the planet, you've got people on the warship out in space. 
all over. So it felt at times a little bit, it felt at times a little bit scattered. You could never kind of sink into a scene, which kept the momentum up and made it very exciting, but was also slightly frustrating at times. But the story's really good. I love the world building. The connection between the characters is good. Many good things. I would definitely read the first one, then read this one, but read them both. And then my final one is Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, which is his latest book. It's amazing. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. It's on, and it's on my um, list. He is also appearing in conversation with Yagiasi this Sunday as part of the Bay Area Book Festival. Um, which does not help everybody else, but might help you. Although I think when this comes out, it still will be going on. And I feel like I bought a pass to all of the events and it looked like you could buy that up through May 9th. And then you would have access to the all of the events for up to 10 days after they happen. So I'm not sure if you could retroactively go back and get it, but I'm pretty excited about that. Kwame from Top Chef is appearing there's a couple other authors whose names I cannot remember, but I know I've read their books. And so I'm pretty excited. That's the Bay Area Book Festival that is happening this week. So if you're listening in real time, go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, you might still be able to access. There will definitely be a couple events happening after this comes out, but you might be able to go back and hear the other ones. But anyway, the book. In my head, I am thinking of it as Remains of the Day meets the Echo Wife with a lower body count. And it's not quite right. <laughs> But there is a lot of truth. The tone felt very much like Remains of the Day. That very sort of calm, almost removed observation viewpoint. So this takes place a little bit in the future. Something has happened. We're not quite sure what. Clara is an artificial friend. So it's like AI, humanoid, robot thingies. And you buy them for your tweens. And it is their friend for the through their growing up formative years. So Clara, it opens up, she's in the department store waiting to be bought. So you get to kind of learn her world and her conversations with other artificial friends. And then one day the manager says, hey, Clara, we're putting you in the front window. And Clara's very excited because she loves learning about the outside world. So she'll have a great view. And as she's in the window for the week, a girl comes up to the window and they're kind of making signals and the girl's like, oh, you know, I'll be back, don't worry. I think you need to be my friend. And so it goes on from there. It's really, it's so interesting. There's this real tension between what Clara understands about the world and what we understand, because there's some things that have happened in this world that she never goes into. She doesn't, there's no exposition. Like you're just in this world, you have to figure it out. We don't know what has happened to the, that makes this world different from ours. So there's a lot about how things happen or how people interact that we don't get. But there's also stuff that we get that she doesn't because we get people. We know how people interact, like what emotions they're be feeling. And she has been designed to figure out those emotions, but she still doesn't fully understand things. So it's, it's super interesting. And then you get the same themes about what does it mean to be human? What is love? Which it keeps coming up in all of my books right now. I'm not sure <laughs> if everyone is just really interested in this or I'm just picking up all these books. This is something I'm interested in. So I'm gravitating toward these books, but it was really beautiful. It was really sad. There's some weirdness in it that is too complicated to explain. I would love to do it in a book club to be able to talk about it with other people. So maybe I can talk about it with you once you read it. 
Yeah. I think his books are complex and nuanced and Mm -hmm. sometimes undefinable and weird in the best way. Yeah. And there's, so I'm excited to read this one. Yeah. And it's really quiet and there's not, you know, I'm, I've been reading all these sci-fi and action and romance and all this like, you know, stuff happens and there's not a lot that happens. I mean, things happen. There's a plot and things are, things are happening, but it's still really quiet and so interesting. I would definitely recommend that one as well. How about you? I have, I have a few books that I really enjoyed this last stretch here. I picked up the summer book by Tova Jansen. She was a a Swedish speaking Finnish author who is most famous for her her Moominland series for children. The Moomins are uh, super popular characters that are all over Scandinavia, book characters, and they look like sort of hippopotamus-ish. Delightful, delightful books. This book is about a six-year-old girl named Sophia who is spending the summer with her grandmother on a remote island in the, the sea between Finland and Sweden. And she's just lost her mother. And so she's grieving her mother and she's kind of coming into her own. And her grandmother, I think, is dying because she lays down a lot and she doesn't have a lot of energy. And it's like this, uh, you know, yin and yang of this youthful child seeing the world and the grandmother uh, languishing. Beautiful, quiet book that pays. I, I loved it because it talks about the birds that they see and how they're carefully watching the tides and the decay of the cabin and what they do to prevent the decay and how the islands around them change over time. And it's, I think it's meant to be focused on that one summer, but when an adult is writing that childhood recollection, I think they, there's some piecing of other amalgamated summers in there. And some of the phrasing is interesting and maybe it's, because it's translated, but I'm pretty sure that it's meant to be this one summer experience. And I, I thought it was really a beautiful, quiet book. Then I read One Night, Two Souls Went Walking by Ellen Cooney. And this is a story about a woman who very early in her life knew that she wanted to do the work of the soul that translated to her as like a Unitarian clergy. And so her role in this book is to aid people in their most vulnerable moments. She's in a hospital and there are elderly people who are passing on or very sick people who are passing on. There's a young boy who was in a terrible accident and doesn't realize the extent of his injuries. This is really sad note. <laughs> when I was reading it, I thought it felt like a memoir, more like a memoir than, than a piece of fiction. It feels a little bit elegiac how she is capturing these people's 
last moments. Some of them are non-believers, and so she's not sure how to handle that. And some of them need to hear something, and she'll tell them what they need to hear, even though it's kind of a lie. Like one guy was, um, he wanted to be this really successful chef, and he needed to hear from all the people that he fed. And so she told him, they're coming. It's okay. You don't have to wait for them. They thank you for the food. And his mother was so upset that she lied, that the clergy woman lied to the, it's just really interesting because. But it um, is fiction. It's not a memoir. You know what? (laughs) I better double check. It's fiction. Psychological. It's considered psychological fiction, which I never would have characterized it, but. Interesting. um, I think that she's very caught up. The character is very caught up in ministering to these souls. And she is, um, she also really connects with this dog that's at the hospital because they have comfort animals, you know, who come in and, and it's almost like the dog can see what the humans can't. And I thought that was very beautiful and her parents need her, but she doesn't, like she can see that ever she can see everyone else's needs, but she cannot see her parents or her own. It's just totally human. It feels really weird to be telling you about this book today, <laughs> given the anniversary that we are acknowledging. But but I think that that had a role in saying goodbye to my mother-in-law too. You know, there was a hospital clergy who was with her in the end and who was there to be with my husband and his siblings when they came to say goodbye. So super relevant. Then I thought I was going to change course and read something lighthearted. And I picked up. That's what I would have done. Yeah. Well, that was my plan. I picked up the stationery shop by Marjan Kamali. I don't know where I got this recommendation. This is always a mystery to me because I can never remember. Iranian, it it takes place right around the time of the coup d'etat in Iran, which is like 1953. In, In brief, it is two young lovers who are engaged to be married. One of them, the the young man is a politically active uh, character in Tehran, and the young woman is she's being her father wants her to be educated, her and her sister to be educated, which he sees as the the like crowning achievement of their country at that time was that women were able to get a great education amongst all of this political turmoil and their like turbulent love story, those two paths diverge the politics and the the romance and there is some tragedy and she the the girl ends up going to California to Mills College of all places i know is a weird connection and she and her sister study in, in the bay area and they meet american men and they marry americans and they i don't think they ever go back to tehran and she the main character whose name I'm forgetting, she and her husband, Walter settle in outside of Boston. I want to say it's Cambridge because she spends a lot of time in Cambridge. She spends 50 years living a life with 
Walter and thinking, not really thinking so much about the boy, but wondering what had happened to him. And in their twilight hours, they realize that they are closer than they think. And they have this chance to connect and have a conversation. And it's how those unspoken things can carry with you your whole life. And, but I think what I really loved and appreciated about it was the, how your culture can stay with you, even though you're not going back to your homeland. And it, it's so expressive with food and talking about the recipes that would bring her back when she couldn't go in physicality. I have this great Persian cookbook that I totally excited to dive into. There were a few recipes in there ju- that just sounded really wonderful. And, and I don't but know. That's also make. not the one you've picked. That is not, no, that's not. Well, another spoiler alert. I tried to do Iran at the beginning of the year. I had done a lot of research about it, which is maybe also where I got this book and it finally just came in. The challenge with doing a lemon latitude dive in the Middle East is that the information is harder to come by and slower to get a hold of and not as accessible digitally as it is with other countries. And so I am very curious about Iran and the whole that whole region. And I think my path with that country is to do what I can when I can, instead of doing a deep dive, like I have done with other countries. Anyway, that was the stationery shop by Marjan Kamali. And it was very satisfying read. None of the three of them were particularly uplifting. However, a thumbs up. Yeah, definitely quality stories. Nice. Thank you. That's it from here. Cool. All right. Well, next time we're going to do a review of Simply Julia. And we will also, I think, double check the schedule, do our intro to bingo. Go over the changes. So get ready for that. I know it's still, well, when you hear this, it will be May. Right now, it's still April. So talking about Memorial Day is a little bit crazy pants. Preliminary. However, we like to remind people that bingo's coming and boy, there's nothing like a sense of accomplishment than finishing off a craft cook, read, repeat bingo sheet. This is true. (laughs) This is true. My friend sent me around a coffee bingo. So like, have you done these things? How much of an addict are you basically for coffee? And I had done most of them. I hadn't roasted my own beans. There was something else. There was a couple ones that I hadn't done, but there were things like whipped coffee was on there. It's like, not only have I had whipped coffee, I've made whipped coffee, which made me think, Ooh, I want to make some whipped coffee (laughs) because it was a beautiful day yesterday. So that nice icy coffee was was delicious. So that's a little flashback to the uh, early days of quarantine. Yeah. Well, this this is our third annual bingo challenge and it runs all summer long, but tune in next time to hear all the details and hear about some of the changes. You know, sometimes we, we, we change up that sheet just a little bit, keep it fresh. 
And, and again, if you have ideas or things that you really oh, want us yeah, to keep, please let us yeah. know. You can put it in Instagram or email us craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Ravelry is safe for you. You can get in touch with us there. I am Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. I don't know if Courtney's ever actually on there, so you won't be able to get in touch with her. I am no, on but there. I'm all over Instagram. This is true. This is yeah. very true. We so. got to pick, just, I'm staying in my lane. <laughs> that is fine. That is fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.